have uh, I have long had an idea for a church-wide New Year's resolution exchange that we have never ever implemented. Uh, although the makeup of our elders board has changed over the years, no matter who was on the elders board serving at the time, they have consistently discouraged my idea for a New Year's resolution exchange as as quote a bad idea, <laughs> quote unquote. It would work just like a Christmas gift exchange. You know how you do in a large family or maybe an office or something like that, a workplace or, a, you know, a ladies group or something. Instead of having to buy a Christmas gift for everybody, you know, they have to buy 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 gifts. You just, you draw names. You draw names and then you, that's the person you get the gift for and the, and you just buy for one person then there's a party and everything is revealed and who got what for whom and a good time is had by all well here's the idea you've got you've got it figured out of it i've floated it before instead of making up your own new year's resolution we all put our names on a slip of paper and put it in a fishbowl and then we draw you draw out names and the person whose name you draw, you get to make one New Year's resolution for them. And someone else draws your name, and they make a resolution for you for the New Year. And there's some sort of New Year's resolution party, and everything is revealed, and all, all is, is known, and, and, uh, and, and, and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Sounds like it'd be a lot of laughs, or at least a lot of stifled snickers, right? And besides being fun, there'd be other advantages of it. It would ratchet up the mutual accountability within the church. How many sermons have you heard? How many times have you heard people lament about the lack of accountability in the church? Well, problem solved. It would at least a step in the right direction of the mutual accountability. Everybody's always complaining about the lack of accountability in the church. There you go. And, and it also, here's another advantage. It would give us greater insight into ourselves. You know the uh, old Scottish proverb or prayer? Oh, would some power the gift give us to see ourselves as others see us. So, once again, problem solved, you know, done and done. Uh, what good is it to make up our own New Year's resolutions if there are areas of needed self-improvement that are crystal clear to everybody else, but to which we ourselves are unaware or in just straight-out denial? My mother had a friend who signed up for a class in self-assertiveness at Roan State Community College. And, you know, they have those community, you know, kind of open it up and get non-traditional students to come. Well, they, she signed up for a class in self-assertiveness, and her idea was she needed to become more self-assertive. But anybody could have told her she was already the most assertive person they knew. <laughs> opinionated, forceful, not to be trifled with. Nobody had the nerve to tell her. She thought it was a deficit on her, you know, that she said, I just need to be more self-assertive. She was asked to leave after the first class. 
She got her money back. You better believe she got her money back. <laughs> she wasn't the sort of person who would just kind of slink away. And they heard about it. Let me tell you, they heard about it. So, because of her lack of self-awareness, something to which we are all susceptible, uh, wouldn't it have been better for it if someone else chose what class she could have enrolled in? How about, you know, some kind of how to win friends and influence people? You know, how, maybe that. Maybe some sort of Bob Ross painting class about how to paint calming landscapes. <laughs> so, once again, you know, my, hence my idea for a New Year's resolution, New Year's resolution exchange. But still, our elders have consistently resisted and discouraged this kind of out-of-the-box innovation. Stifled. And, I, and I've been compliant. I, I've deferred to their wisdom. So there were not going to be a New Year's resolution exchange in 2018. But I have taken the liberty of thinking through a, and even praying through a New Year's resolution for you. My gift to you. <laughs> And, and since you won't have a chance to return the favor, uh, I've included myself. And here it is. And I really have. This is not just, you know, how do I, what kind of a sermon am I going to preach? I need a sermon. It wasn't that. I really have thought about this carefully, and I've prayed about it uh, sincerely. And here's my resolution that seems to me it fits. It's two words. Pray more. Pray more. It's actually a condensation of the, my passage today, my verse today, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, which consists of three words. Pray without ceasing. I've boiled it down to two for you. <laughs> Pray more. That's not hard. It's not too embarrassing, not too revealing, but I really mean it. I, 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 if I could choose one resolution for you and for me and for us all and for us all together, it would be that. Pray more. Uh, believe it or not, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, as simple as it is, that's all, you know, you look it up, 1 Thessalonians Pray without ceasing. You know, believe it or not, that crystal clear, simple verse uh, needs some uh, unpacking, needs some exegeting, some interpretation. Because there is a way, a very common way of interpreting the verse that I think actually misses, misses uh, what the verse is encouraging which in my view is more prayer. So what does Paul mean when he says pray without ceasing? I said it's crystal clear, but it's not automatically clear. But does it mean that prayer is the only thing any believer, any Christian should ever be doing? Pray without ceasing. When someone says, let's pray, does that mean Let's stop being disobedient because we've been obedient because we're not praying right now. And it's, the Bible says, First Thessalonians 5:17, pray without ceasing. We must have ceased at some point. If I can say, let's pray, 
Let's get obedient. Let's do it now. Does that mean? Does that does it mean pray without ceasing that no you shouldn't ever say amen and stop praying? Because that could be taken to be kind of the implication of the words if we take them in a woodenly literal kind of way. And and you look at the language, pray without ceasing. That's English standard, exactly as it like as it is in the King James version or New King James version. New American Standard version says the same thing. Pray without ceasing. NIV changes a little. Uh, pray continually. Seems like the same thing to me. Pray continually. And so you can see the trouble because it seems impossible to obey kind of the letter of the law here. Obviously, there are lots of times a day when our thoughts are otherwise engaged, and and they need to be otherwise engaged. And we're not praying. And and so when someone says, let's pray, what what can they mean other than let's do something that we're not doing right now? And when someone says, amen, what does that mean other than prayer time over, over and out? <laughs> prayer concluded. And Jesus did both of those things. He initiated times of prayer, right? He pray, started praying, and he said, Amen. Prayer time concluded. <laughs> so how does that go? Pray without ceasing, it says. And because of these kinds of practical difficulties and also because of really a commendable respect for the words of Scripture, you know, words have to mean something, this verse has commonly been taken to refer not so much to what we may think of as a formal time of prayer with a beginning and a, and a uh, some aspect, and even if you weave in some aspect of worship, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, you know, it's just not a formal prayer time, but to a constant kind of subconscious, perhaps, attitude of prayer. You know, it's an ad- prayerful attitude that we have all the time. That's what it, what it means. That's what what J. Vernon McGee just to just to choose somebody. You've you've heard this many times, but J. Vernon McGee. That's what he made about the made the verse say or understood the verse to say. And here's what he said about it: Prayer. Speaking on First Thessalonians 5:17, pray without ceasing. He says prayer is an attitude of the life. It is more an attitude of life than an action of the lips. More in attitude. And many times we do not have the words to pray, but we are praying nonetheless, and this and it is the entire life that is behind the words which are spoken that make prayer effective. Now I loved J. Vernon McGee. Have you ever heard who knows J. Vernon McGee? Radio? Okay. All right, a lot of you. For a season in my life, he was my drive time pastor in the morning, seven to seven thirty. I'd pull up at the job site and I'd I'd get out of the car at 7:30 because that's when that's when he said, "May God richly bless you, my beloved." <laughs> and what a great uh, what a great preacher name, you know, J. Vernon McGee, like like so many others, C. H. Spurgeon, you know, D. L. Moody, A. W. Tozer. Why didn't I build myself a CD bun, CD bun from the beginning? The get go is too late. But J. Vernon, don't if this, 
Might be like a too fine, but think about this. Think about this. His explanation of 1 Thessalonians 5:17 may do justice, and it's trying to do justice with the words without ceasing. You know, how can we do this without ceasing? But in order to get there, he has to take considerable liberties with what it means to pray. You have to pay attention to that word too. Pray without ceasing. And he, the way he explains it, we're basically praying when we're not praying. If we have like some an attitude of prayerfulness or something. John Piper, another pastor who, who blesses me with his writing and preaching, he's along the same lines. Let me read you what he says about this verse. Praying without ceasing means that there is a spirit of dependence that should permeate all we do. This is the spirit and essence of prayer. So even when we're not speaking consciously to God, I would say praying, (laughs) there's a deep abiding dependence on Him that is woven into the heart of faith. And in that sense, we pray continuously. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood today. I'm all for a prayerful attitude in all of life. That's a good thing. I'm all for, as, as he says, a spirit of dependence upon God that should permeate all we do. But I'll also dare to disagree with these terrific preachers who seem to be implying that there's a special way of praying while we're not actually praying so that we're still compliant with what this verse commands, pray without, without ceasing. And I think those kinds of explanations are, are, are trying too hard. They're understanding that second term. And by the way, in Greek it's one word. You know, this verse in, in Greek is two words. Pray, and then the one that's translated without ceasing. It's not three. There's an A in the beginning of the second word. It means negated, without. So... It's, it's trying to do justice to that concept of without ceasing. But in order to do that, they, it seems to me they go all loosey-goosey about what it means to pray. <laughs> the simpler answer and the plainer answer and the more intuitive answer is, uh, is something else. If you look it up in a Greek dictionary, that one word, you'll read meanings for the word is translated without ceasing, like without interruption, unceasingly, constantly. You see that. But if you dig a little deeper and look at the ways that the word was used in ancient times and in biblical times, you get a little more nuanced view. Let me, let me tell you some ways you see it used. That word that means that's translated without ceasing. It's used of, of forced payment of onerous heavy taxes by the government. Like somebody said, they're constantly, the government is constantly coming up with new and heavier taxes. They're always taxing us. They're ta- without ceasing, they're taxing us and coming up with new ways to tax us. When, uh, I, I remember reading something one time in American history, like way back near the beginning, and someone complained, why, well, before it's done, they'll tax us for, the, they'll tax us for very, making money. 
Before it's over, they'll tax us for our very income. They'll tax income. It's prophetic, wasn't it? Or maybe just some politician heard him say that's a that's a good idea. <laughs> Years ago in an elders meeting, we were wrestling with coming up with a, a budget to propose to you all and John Frazier, you some of you remember him. John Frazier's elder at the time, he said, Well, only thing I can see to do is raise taxes. <laughs> Need more money. But someone back in the day said, they're always raising taxes. They're constantly coming up with new ways to tax us using the same word that we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that's translated without ceasing. We also see it used of a persistent cough. Not in the Bible, but, you know, the literature of the same time. There are... You know, someone said something like, this cough is just, this cough is driving me crazy. It's relentless. You know, it's, it's, it won't quit. It's constant. Why can't I get over this cough? Jo- Josephus uses the term to refer to repeated military attacks by, by, uh, by governments. Like we, we might say that the jihadists are constantly attacking soft targets in the West. They're, they're always public, publicly executing people in bizarre and barbaric kind of ways. So when people use the word, so this here's the point. It's, it's a fine point, but it's but it has an application. When people use that word that's translated without ceasing in other contexts, they didn't actually mean that the government was literally coming up with new taxes every second of every day without ever thinking of anything else. They didn't, and they and they didn't mean that the government had a 24/7 attitude of taxation. Although they probably did. <laughs> the person complaining of a cough really wasn't coughing continually, without ever stopping coughing, or else how could he have complained about it? <laughs> He, but what was happening? He was he was coughing repeatedly, uh, often, again and again and again and again and again, and it never was very long before the next coughing fit would come up. And Josephus didn't mean that the Romans were literally unceasing in their military ventures, but that they those military ventures were frequent. They were persistent. They but they did other things. They rested at night. They took the winners off. They went on furlough. They raised new armies. But it would never be long until the next one. You know how we might say, pray without ceasing? How we might say it? We might say, more likely say, pray all the time. Pray all the time. Now, like, he prays all the time. She's always praying. And when we say something like that, we're not saying that they're literally praying all the time, (laughs) but that the prayers are frequent, they're repeated, they're habitual. It's never very long before she's at it again. (laughs) It's never a long time between prayers. You know anybody who's always talking about Tennessee football? Do you know anybody? Who's always talking about Tennessee football? 
Years ago, an inebriated friend called me on the phone after midnight, one or two, something like that. The phone was, at that time, the phone was on my side of the bed, and Robin woke up, of course, and she wanted to know who had died, and what hospital do we have to rush off to? And my friend said, hey, I knew his voice, what you doing? I said, well, it's two, you know, I can't remember, it's like one or two, he said, well, it's two, he said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Next thing he said was, Tennessee, man, going to win the national championship this year. <laughs> and I said, I said, can we, can we talk about this another time? And, and, uh. Of course, Robin, by this time, realized who it was and who it wasn't. And she remembered the for worst part of the wedding vows and rolled over, kind of disgusted. <laughs> but he was all—he was always talking about Tennessee football. He's constantly talking about the Vols. And I say that, and when I say that, you understand that he talked about it. You know he talked about other things too, and there were times he wasn't even talking. Sometimes we talk about Oak Ridge Wildcats football. <laughs> Sometimes about the Cincinnati Reds, fishing, or what to have for breakfast. But you know what it means. When Ellen and I say, he's, constantly, he's always talking about Tennessee football. He's constantly talking about it. She, or she's always posting uh, recipes on Facebook. Well, you say that, you know what I mean, but it's not, it's not literally always, you know. She, it's probably only an hour a day. <laughs> it means, it, it, it means she, she does it frequently, habitually, always. It's never long before the, the next one, and that's the way... Paul's original audience took his words in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing does not mean, it preaches good and sounds nice, but it really does not mean have some sort of background hum of prayerfulness going on in the subconscious or background of your life that, it's in, that is engaged and praying somehow even when you're not praying. That just, it's overthinking it. It's trying too hard to do justice to the words without ceasing. While I say taking liberty with what it means to pray. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just not the way people use language then now or then it means to pray well like we would say pray all the time it means pray a lot <laughs> it, it means you can't underdo it you you can't overdo it you can underdo it but you can't underdo it and if you really do achieve what Piper and many others call, you know, a spirit of dependence that should perme that permeates all we do, if you really do that, if you really have this background attitude of prayerfulness, 
I'm just saying, you're going to be saying, let's pray a lot. You're going to be saying those words a lot. Let's pray. And you're going to be saying amen a lot. And you're going to be starting a lot and, and amening a lot, quitting a lot. You're going to be doing it often. You're going to be doing it repeatedly. You're going to do it frequently. You're going to do it habitually. You're going to do it characteristically. And that's when you're fulfilling the verse. That's when you're obeying the verse, pray without ceasing. There's no guilt. This is not inviting some sort of guilt for with the times you're not praying. It, and it's, it doesn't mean, it's not talking about having some background hum of prayerfulness attitude in the background, although that's great. I have a friend who said, quitting smoking is easy. I do it all the time. I did it three times one Saturday alone. <laughs> well, that's kind of what it means. Pray all the time, repeatedly, habitually, frequently, lots more. So pray more in 2018. And I'm going to end. i got a few minutes left. I'll end with three suggestions, three ways. Very briefly, sounds like another sermon, but I'm not. It's not. I even cut it down from five. But I'm just going to, there's three ways just to end. How you, how you can do that. First, in your praying more, develop its devotional aspects. And what I mean by that is, is you remember, you, you pray, who's heard like the Acts, across, A-C-T-S, acrostic, for, you know, like the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, A-C-T, adoration, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You familiar with that? Okay. The... Uh, a is for adoration. This, you, they they kind of preach themselves out of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. You know, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Reverenced, worshipped. A is for adoration. In, in other words, how, do you, how are you going to pray? How are you going to pray more? Well, begin, you know, develop these, these other aspects like adoration, like worship part of the prayer. Begin praying by uh, you are instead of will you. You know what I mean? It's people find it hard, some, you know, to start, but that's part. That's part of praying more, is develop these other aspects. The C is for confession. Confess your sins. Ask for His forgiveness. Make sure the fellowship that with God is not hindered by unconfessed sin. The T is for thanksgiving. Thanking God for what He's done for you, for the prayers He's already answered, for the things He did you that you didn't pray for. His provisions, his deliverances, his salvation. And the S, the last part, is supplication, A-C-T-S. And that's asking for stuff. You know, that's asking for our favors. That's, that's the to-do list that we have for the Lord, if he would be so gracious to grant our favors. And one of the reasons Christians don't pray more is because of kind of an impoverished view or an impoverished practice of prayer that only knows about the S, the supplication, asking for stuff. Lord, will you please do this? Please do that. Please keep this from happening. Please make this other thing happen. You think time time for prayer. Okay, who's sick and who's traveling? Okay, what else is there? Well, there's a lot there's lots of other stuff. 
It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and he invites our, our request. But, that's, but that's, uh, that's one of them. In your praying more, develop, develop the devotional aspects, the worship aspect, the thanksgiving aspect, the confession aspect. And you'll get to the favors, you know, that you'll get to those. But that is one of the reasons we don't pray more, because we just, it's just favors. Get right to God's to-do list, right off. <laughs> Second thing, in your praying more, in your more praying, do it both formally and spontaneously. And by formally, I mean the regular habit of prayer, mornings, evenings, whenever you do it, you know, this, uh, m- most most Christians, you know, you, this quiet time or devotional time or the time you spend with the Lord, private time with the Lord, whatever you call it, most Christians ebb and flow in that, at least in some measure. You know, you do good and then you tail off and you don't do as well and you're not as consistent. And, and most Christians think I could really do do more in that. And so I, I'm, I'm encouraging that, be more consistent in in my life, I, I, may, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, it would be like in my office. When I come in in the mornings, it would be sit down in the red chair before I sit down at the desk. Because when I sit in the red chair, if you come in and I'm sitting in the red chair, I'm probably not writing a sermon. I'm not answering emails. I'm not doing anything that this the busyness of the of the church. It's probably about me reading the Bible and, and uh, praying. Uh, so that's the, that's the tension, you know. That's one of the points of my life. You d- don't go right over that computer. Don't go over sit behind the desk. S- sit down there first, pastor. <laughs> um, so, so do that. You, you've got equivalents in your own life. But it means to plan on and follow through with a daily or near daily practice and habit of having times of prayer before God. You know, if you, you know, I was thinking about this this week, you'll be glad to know I was thinking about this. But if I practice what I preach here, you know what? I'll bet in 2018 there'll be more events for the church that are about prayer. And not just uh, perfunctory or not just part of it, but that are, so we'll see. You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> Formally. But by uh, spontaneous. So I'm saying in your more praying, do it more both formally. That would be the planned times in the mornings and the evenings, whatever it is, or at lunchtime I'm going to take you know, time to pray. But also spontaneously, and I mean the unplanned prayers, uh, do it more. As a pastor over the years, I, there are times when, I, uh, when I'm not decided exactly about whether or not when talking with somebody or being at the hospital with somebody. It's sometimes where I'm thinking about, is, is this a good time to say, uh, let, let's, why don't we pray right now? And some of those opportunities and some of those situations have just gone by. I've, you know, someone came in the room or, or a medical person came and kind of took over or someone joined the conversation and... And when I have somehow let the opportunity pass, it's, it's always felt like a loss. 
but when I've not let the opportunity pass, and I was maybe say, I don't, I don't care who's standing around. It doesn't matter. I don't care if there's nurses in the room. Let's pray. Let's pray now. <sighs> That's never been a mistake. <laughs> it's never been a mistake. Someone asked me this week how I was doing, and I, my, I say, how you doing? And my guard was down, and I told him the truth. I know you're supposed to just say fine, but it, it, my guard was down. I told him the truth, and and this person said, well, 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 let's pray now, and we did. Never a mistake. <laughs> Never. In your praying more, do it more, both formally, like planned. The mornings, the evenings, whenever I pray, I'm going to do it more consistently oh, and, and spontaneously. And third thing, lastly, we'll end with this. In your praying more, this is awful to do to you right before, right at noon, everybody's hungry. But in your praying more, discover or rediscover the practice of fasting. You know, Jesus, this is worth a more, of course, a whole, this is worth more time than you're going to hear now. But Jesus assumed that we would be doing it. When you fast, right? When you fast, he basically says, don't make a show of it. When you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. He didn't say, should you choose to fast? Uh, and it's, but even though he said when you fast, it's it's very typically treated as kind of an optional optional upgrade in Christian discipleship. It's kind of a, and it's a lost discipline of Christian life. Fasting is abstaining from food for a time, and is almost always presented in the Scripture as an aid to prayer it, it demonstrates you say well why is that why is that well it does it really does demonstrate a seriousness before God about what you're praying about or for and it really not only shows a, a seriousness before God but kind of develops a seriousness before God it shows you mean it. It it focuses the mind. It 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 it, re, it builds spiritual strength against the domination of the flesh. It's an it's an amazing and wonderful thing that you can learn to say no to the demands of the flesh and it doesn't kill you. It's a it's a wonderful thing to know that. It, it, that you can. You know, abstain from food for a whole day or or even abstain for a couple of meals. Um, and it's it's largely an unexplored, unlearned discipline for many, many, many modern Christians. And some of you think, well, okay, I have a medical condition that doesn't allow me to fast. Well, you know, I know what you mean. I'll tell you, when I'm taking these, uh, take these pills 14 days out of 21... I can't do it on an empty stomach. They tell me not to do it on an empty stomach. They, uh, you know, or they'll make me sick, which is a kind of an irony when you think about it. <laughs> but, but, 
Okay, okay, so there it is. But Daniel fasted, and once again, I'm assuming knowledge, and we could really do more to really establish this, but Daniel fasted from certain kinds of foods, not all of them. He abstained from meat, you know, and the fine, whatever it was that the king was trying to feed him, vegetables only. That was his fast. And there's biblical evidence for other kinds of fasts that don't don't involve food. I think not everybody agrees with me on this, but but I think I mean the essence of it is saying no. In the Bible, it's almost always food, not always, or certain foods. But you know the essence of it is denying the flesh, saying no to the flesh. And I think that that the fast that most modern people could benefit from the most, or not the most, but could benefit from greatly, is a fast from media, fast from social networking, a television, a computer. Can you imagine a day or three days without TV to devote yourself, you know, to devote yourself to prayer? And I say that, and I say that because. Because I've done some things like that, and how the flesh howls more than being from being hungry. It's deprived of this constant in, din of media input, and and how the flesh objects to silence. And and modern life does everything it can to make sure to make sure nobody knows what it's like to be quiet before the Lord. <laughs> Silent before him. But in your praying more, discover or rediscover the practice of fasting. So but the, the bottom line is, it really is. I mean, I think one resolution, one thing I could, I could do your resolution. <laughs> and even mine. I don't exclude myself. Pray more. Pray all the time, as we say. Pray habitually repeatedly consistently never let it be very long since the last time you prayed uh, grow beyond prayer as god's to-do list there's a lot more besides that there's lots more besides the god's to-do list in prayer grow in it develop the adoration part the worshipful part the confession part you know that develop the worshipful part i don't want to hit to go back I got like a minute. <laughs> Read the Psalms as a prayer to God. Pray the Psalms. If you like, if you don't know, that seems odd or hard for people to to begin with adoration, begin with worship. Read a Psalm and say if you can say that you know. Read the Psalm the way people repeat a sinner's prayer after us. You know, the Psalm gives the word, and we pray it to God, and that's our heart to God. That's it. That's a way to develop the worship part. But develop the worship part, the confession part, the thanksgiving part. Uh, pray more consistently. You know, we in in your uh, planned and habitual times. There's almost nobody I'm looking at that that I can't say do better at that. You know, they say, I yeah. Uh, Almost nobody I'm looking at right now that can't do better, hasn't done better in the past. And also the, uh, the spontaneous times. And pray with fasting. And give, Not all the time, not all the time, but pray with fasting. Find out what's there for you that you didn't know about. And give it some intensity and some seriousness that it 
that it may typically be lacking. But above all, but above all, whatever, however, whatever you pray about, I don't even, at this point, I don't care what you pray about. But pray more. Pray more. And I, I, don't, th- I don't think I could give you a better New Year's resolution than that. Pray more. Or me. Pray more. Uh, Lord, teach us to pray and to pray more, to pray more fervently, to pray more broadly, uh, more deeply, just more. It seems easy, such an easy thing to do, but in practice we find it hard. And we would rather jump right into doing instead of looking to you to guide, provide. Uh, we're so easily distracted, so busy. So strengthen the weak knees in this place and in our church for our blessing and for your glory. Strengthen faith where you see it, Lord, and bless any who are outside of Christ with the first step of being willing to trust Christ and be saved from sin and death. Once again, for their blessing, for your glory, and that our joy would be made full. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.